Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. But uh, one of the things I did not mention last year that I do want to take some time with this morning is what is to explore really quickly. Why is it that we like to be scared? Why, why do we like to be scared? What do you think? Why do, why do we like uh, horror movies and scary movies and things like that? This is the month where uh, all this stuff really seems to come up into culture. Why do we like to be scared? Anybody? It gets your adrenaline going. That's exactly right. What was that, Robbie? Oh, you, I don't. You know, honestly, I, I don't either. Uh, this wasn't in my notes. True story. Uh, when I was a kid, like older elementary school, uh, my dad was not pleased that I had a tendency to be a little uh, jumpy. I mean, I know that probably shocks you, right? I mean, I'm jumpy at everything. Uh, and he decided that uh, they were going to sit us down and have us watch the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And my mom made a vegetarian lasagna. And I, I, I don't think that was planned, but it freaked me out. I didn't sleep for a week. And my parents really were great parents. I'm sorry. You know, mom's watching this. Is, hey, mom. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but it, it took my dad taking me into the backyard at night when it was dark and making me sit there until I was no longer scared because, you know, he was trying to convince me that there is no such thing as Freddy Krueger. There is no such thing as Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees or any of those slasher things. Uh, but fear is real, isn't it? You know, the Bible tells us 365 times, almost as though there's one for every day of the year, to not be afraid. So why is it that we like to be afraid? Well, part of it comes back to the way that we were created, God's design for us. Uh, we have something that psychologists have termed the threat detection system. The threat detection system uh, is what helped us survive in our pre-tribal days while we were out in the, in the wilderness and things. And our ability to be able to detect threats was a survi- is a survival instinct, and it's a survival mechanism and device. And in our world, the way that we live, we don't typically encounter a whole lot of things that that scare us, right? I mean, like, that really scare us. I'm not talking about, I uh, heard some of the conversation lobbies, you know, Bryce Harper coming up the plate in the playoffs, right? You know, those are the types of things I'm talking about, but things that are really life-threatening and soul-threatening. And so one of the things that we've, we've done, we've devised, whether it was intentional or not, is to create these safe, controlled spaces where we can allow our threat detection system to be engaged and we can come away from it unscathed. It allows us to get scared in a way that triggers those parts of our brain that give us those adrenaline surges, help us come face to face with our uh, mortality, so to speak, but also our fragility, but also to be able to survive it. And there's another thing that psychologists have termed the excitation transfer theory, the excitation transfer theory, which states that we need to be able to face fears and experience them so that we can feel a sense of accomplishment and mastery over them. Facing your fears. It's very much like my dad taking me into the backyard after watching a series of Nightmare on Elm Street movies and letting me know after sitting there in the, in the cold, in the dark, that there is no Freddy Krueger. We need these excitation and we need this threat detection things to help remind us that we are alive. And that the way that God designed our lives to be working in sync with our brains and our hearts 
our soul, all these things to come together so that we know that there is a threat, that there is a consequence for not living the way that we are created and called to live. So all this is very theological, it's very biblical. And the idea behind our, bless you, the idea behind our Scary Bible series is to help us face some of these things in a safe and controlled environment so that we can challenge ourselves and work through some of the things that we find to be uncomfortable, we find to be maybe even a little bit scary so that we can come away from it with a sense of accomplishment and mastery. Are you with me? So let's look at our first passage for a scary Bible. This message is, is titled, Exchanging the Truth for a Lie, and it comes from the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans was a, was a letter that was written by Paul to the church in Rome, uh, and this is one of his last and latest uh, letters that he wrote, and it is considered by many to be the single greatest treatise in theology that was written at that time and probably for all time, because Paul deals with so many of the things that, that we face in a scary world. And we're going to get a part of that this morning as we look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and I'm using the New International Version this morning. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. It's the word of God for God's people. Let's give thanks to God. Amen. Amen. All right. So really quickly, exchanging the truth for a lie. What is the lie? Paul gave us that in the last part of verse 25. What is it? It's basically essentially worshiping the created as opposed to the creator, the creation versus the creator. But if you zoom out from that and look at it at a 30,000 foot view, what we see is that anything that we take within our heart, mind, soul, and our strength and try to believe that we can live with connections other than God as our primary connection and allowing everything else that falls into place, that is the lie. That's how we ended up our Beatitudes series, the message that Christian brought us last week, and how we are starting our Scary Bible Message Series. Again, I said, like I said, none of this was intricately planned, which means we can thank God that we aren't the planners, right? Uh, that really is something to be celebrated, but hopefully you get the point. The idea is that God is working all of this together, and when we think that we can survive or uh, succeed— survive or succeed apart from our primary connection to God, we are exchanging the truth for a lie. And this emerges in the way that we understand sin. Sin is always a lie in that we think that sin will make us happy, but sin ruins our lives. We may be free to do something, but if we're not careful before too long, we will no longer be free to, do, to not do that thing. 
Are you with me? We see that in addiction a lot. You're free to do it, but after a very short period of time, you probably aren't going to be free from it. And so all of this brings us into this mentality and this thought process that we end up worshiping the created or the creation as opposed to the creator. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? We end up worshiping the creation and the created as opposed to the creator. And all of this is so nefarious. And the more that we give ourselves over to that lie, the easier it gets to stay there and to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And the, one of the things that happens with our sense of human nature is that the deeper that we find ourselves going into the lie, we have to try to convince other people that the lie is true as well. Otherwise, we begin to feel as though we are out of sync with the world. Has anyone ever read the children's book, The Emperor's New Clothes? Right? Not as many as I expected, unless there's some hands that don't want to admit that they read it. Anyway, I'm sorry. The Emperor's New Clothes. The story about the Emperor's New Clothes is there's this uh, new tailor who moves into uh, the empire. And the emperor is convinced that this tailor, who isn't doing anything, is able to create the most beautiful and most exquisite clothing of all time. And so the emperor begins to walk around in his birthday suit and trying to convince other people that he is wearing the finest, the finest outfits made possible. And the lie begins to convince others you have to be really special to be able to see the emperor's outfits. And the emperor's walking around in his, in his drawers, and, and the rest of the kingdom begins to think, well, if I confess that I can't see the clothes, that would mean that I, I'm not special, or I don't belong here, or maybe I have a threat to my personhood or my presence. And so everyone then begins to say, well, the emperor is wearing the finest clothes imaginable. So they have a parade, right? The emperor and all the people are joining in on this parade, and this little boy says, hey, the emperor's naked, right? He was brought up in the suburbs of Atlanta, just like me, and he's like, the emperor's not wearing any clothes. And then once the child has the ability to speak just a little bit of truth. Everyone else begins to say, you know, I, I really thought that that shirt was awful see-through, right? I really thought that that robe was quite sheer. And all of a sudden, it just takes a little bit of truth to be able to go in and counteract the lie. But the problem with those who are living in the lie is that reveals our own susceptibility to worshiping the created versus the creator. And we don't like to feel vulnerable. We don't like to feel as though we are being made out to be fools. And so we try to perpetuate the lie. How do we perpetuate the lie? Lie, lie confidently, lie often. Lie, lie confidently, and lie often. Lie, lie as though you believe it, and then lie often. Because there's something with the way that our brain works, the more that we hear something, the more convinced we become that it is true, even if we know that it is absolutely false. There's a commentator talks about the sky is green theory, and he said, if we could convince the world that the sky is green with this very thing, lie. All of a sudden, you go on TV and say, the sky is green, my friends. And everybody's like, the sky's not green. And all of a sudden... An expert gets brought on and says, you know, actually the sky is green. It just appears blue because your eyes are not able to filter the certain lights, kinds of light and UV rays. So the sky is green. And the people are like, well, if an expert said it, well, it's got to be true, right? So the sky is green. And you start going, all your friends say, did you know that the sky is green? 
And you're like, no, the sky's green. No, the sky's green. So-and-so said it. And next thing you know, people become convinced that the sky is green until someone just happens to come forth with a little bit of truth. This is, you know, the sky is blue. Well, you know, I thought it was blue, but that's how it happens. Lie, lie confidently, and lie often. And so... In this world where there is so much deception going, and remember the very first temptation, the very first sin came down to deception because the evil one, the devil, Satan, is the father of lies, right? He's also known as the deceiver and the accuser. All of these things work together. It's like, what did God really say? And so what we see is it is absolutely imperative for us to know God. If you have out your, uh, your notes in your app or you have your notes in the info guide, this is really the first thing. Knowing God. We see how we come to know God in verses 18 through 20. Christian talked about this last week, right? When he did, uh, he showed his picture of Stetson Ben and he said he knows a lot about Stetson Bennett's statistics. But he knows Brendan Winters, his best friend, as his, as his heart. Right? Knowing God versus knowing about God. This is what it comes to. And so when we th- start thinking about knowing God versus knowing about God, then one of the things that we are going to recognize and realize is that God declared himself truth. So do you know God or do you know about God? How would you answer that question sitting right here this morning? Do you know God? Or do you know about God? I want you to know God. Jesus talked about truth. John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. Jesus personified truth. And then he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so we can come to experience truth when we come to know Jesus. Now, what we see And not just knowing Jesus, but we also see it in our Romans passage, is that God reveals himself also through nature. Right? God reveals himself through nature. You know that if our earth wasn't positioned on its axis, just so, just a degree, one way or the other, that life would not be sustainable on this planet. It's things like that so intricate, the way that God plans and pulls everything together in nature and in his word, which is truth, which reveals God to us. So we've got to know more than just knowing about God. We've got to get to know God. And that is one of the things that can challenge us. Because what happens when we get to know God? What do you think? What's the threat, so to speak? The threat detection system that might get activated in your brain when you come to know God? He might convict you of something you're doing that's wrong. And we don't like that. We don't like to hear that we're wrong. We don't like to hear that our strongly held beliefs, convictions, thoughts, or whatever are incorrect or inaccurate. We would rather be the emperor walking through town wearing nothing, trying to convince everyone I'm wearing the finest fabric that's ever been woven, than to actually hear someone speak the truth and say, he's naked. But what is it that happened when Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation of Satan? They realized they were what? They were naked. They realized they weren't wearing anything. It's that sense of being exposed as a fraud that brings up the cowardly issues within us. So we've got to know God. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. We see this wonderful verse in the chapter known as the love chapter, where Paul writes, I shall know fully 
even as I am fully known. So the truth in this passage is that God knows you fully. God knows those areas where you need to be exposed, but you don't want to be exposed. And God wants to come and bring the illuminating light into you. But with what? Someone say love. Love, that's exactly right. But to do it in love. Paul would write, I believe in Ephesians, where we talk about we need to learn to speak the truth in condemnation, right? No, love. Learn to speak the truth in love. And so, the gift of love that we can be about giving ourselves and giving other people is to come and confront those areas where we are mistaken, where we have exchanged the truth for the lie, where we have thought that we can live apart from our creator, where we think that we can worship the created as opposed to the creator. Learning to know God as we are fully known in love is one of the most beautiful and most threatening things that we can do. Because it reveals to us where we've, getting, where we've getting it wrong, where we've gotten it wrong, and where we get it wrong. When, we ha- when that happens, then we are revealed in our lives and in the lives of others for the fact that we oftentimes have lived in foolishness, right? Think about foolishness. Well, one of the things that we see about foolishness is that it's the fool that sets the standard for what is right. You see that on the screen. The fool sets his own thoughts, ideas, and opinions as the standard as opposed to the laws of nature and nature's God. So it's the fool that begins to set the standard. The scripture addresses this many, many times by talking about how it's the ways of the wise based on human terms, the standards that we set for us, that actually reveal our foolishness. But God used the foolishness of the cross in the eyes of the world to confound the wise so that we and knowing Christ may know the truth. And what does the truth do? It sets us free. Thank you. I was hoping there'd be an amen there because I was feeling it. I was about to do my Jesus jig up here. Amen. Amen. So what is one of the tactics that the fools do to try to convince us that we are giving ourselves over not just to the lie, but to truth? It's the fools have a tendency to try to control the language in order to control agendas. Have you ever experienced something where you were absolutely convinced you knew what a word was, only to find out within a day or a week or a decade later that that word no longer means what you thought it meant? And then who feels foolish? Oh my gosh. I didn't realize that that word didn't mean that. And we feel foolish. It's the one who controls the language, controls the agenda. And so this is what happens when the fools are setting their own thoughts, ideas, and opinions as the standard, as opposed to the laws of nature and nature's God. It's like what happens when someone ignores the laws of of health, for example. It's like someone saying, you can replace your skim milk with full fat heavy whipping cream and you're going to enjoy all the flavor of the full fat heavy whipping cream all the texture of the full fat heavy whipping cream and none of the consequences in your waistline or your cholesterol or anything else we want you to have the full flavored full fat heavy whipping cream do away with that skim milk 
You see the old Seinfeld skit where they, uh, the yogurt, frozen yogurt can place opened up in town, and they were convincing everyone it was fat-free. And the next thing you know, all the people in town start getting their blood work done, and their cholesterol's up. They get their blood work done, and their, their weight's going up. And it's like, why? I was convinced that this was fat-free. Why were they convinced? Because it, because it tasted so good. They didn't want it to be anything other than that. And so that's what ends up happening when fools begin to change and manipulate the language, to change and manipulate the agendas, to try to convince us that the truth is lie, is a lie. So what is the result of this? You see it on the screen. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. Now that may seem kind of weird, but what ends up happening when we allow ourselves to be given over to the lie? We want the thing to be true so badly that we begin to stake our lives to that. Well, it can't be me switching out my heavy whipping cream and skim milk that's caused my cholesterol to go up or caused my weight to go up, right? It can't be that. It's got to be something else. It's got to be, I don't know, broccoli. It's, that, that actually, I think, is medically correct, right? It's got to be that. It's got to be that. This is how we get convinced of, of foolishness. It becomes idolatry. What we see with the idolatry is we want what we know to not be true so much that we convince ourselves and convince others that it's just got to be true because we want it so much. It's the emperor's new clothes. It's what happens when we are so convinced that what we want has got to be true and it turns out not to be. It becomes idolatry in our lives. It becomes so hard for us to break. Do you know what a parallax is? A parallax? A parallax is what we see or view from, as Obi-Wan Kenobi would say in the, in the Return of the Jedi, from a certain point of view, right? It's how we understand things based on our point of view. And so there's the thing that's been developed by writer Michael Anton called the celebration parallax. So one way to think about a parallax is like when, when, um, when Tiffany and I are driving down the road, and I know what speed I'm going, and she looks from the driver's side, and she says, Mark, don't you think you're going awful fast? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, just going, I'm just going 45. But from her point of view, it looks like 35, and the speed limit is 25, and next thing you know, we're playing into this parallax thing. You realize I'm using very s small numbers here on the speedometer because I don't want to let anybody know. You know I'm, I'm conveying the truth here and trying to exchange it for a lie. But, but a parallax is the truth that you are so certain exists based on your certain specific point of view. Now, the celebration parallax that Anton wrote about is, comes down to the way that we perceive the truth and how we begin to determine what is true. And what we see happening, and this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, to what's going on in our current events and culture today, is that the truth is based not on what is said, but who said it. The truth is not based on what is said, but who said it. You know, for example... I could get like David Powell to sit up here on the stage and say the exact same thing as me, but because he's wearing an Alabama t-shirt or shirt, you'd hear it one way. And if I was wearing my UGA jacket that I wore this morning, you might hear it another way, right? And say, I am taking the truth based on how I perceive the person who delivers it. Do you see the threat in that? We begin to judge the message based on the messenger as opposed to the message itself. This comes back to knowing who God is and what God wants to accomplish in our lives to free us from our sin and to allow the truth to set us free. We've got to pay attention to the message and not simply the messenger. 
But you see, the celebration, the celebration parallax has something else nefarious that it does as well. Is it begins to challenge your perception on the truth, not just based on who said it, but how you feel about what is being said. I call it the great queso dilemma. The great queso dilemma. And if I were to go with Christian and Brandon and crew to the Topos after the service today, and I order a big old vat of piping hot cheese dip with jalapenos, or as my grandfather would say, jalapenos, right? Jalapenos. Uh, that's a true story. And I forbid them from having any. I'm sitting there with this big vat of cheese dip. And I'm not using chips to eat this cheese dip. I'm using serving spoons, like the big ladles. And then, and then Christian's going to look and say, you know, hey, hey bro, that, don't hog the cheese dip for the table. And I'm like, I, I'm not hogging the cheese dip for the table. And it's good that I am because if you were to have it, it would get all in your beard, right? So it's good that I'm, that I'm eating all the cheese dip to keep it out of your beard. And if you try to keep me from eating a cheese dip, you're a greedy glutton. So that's how the celebration parallax plays out in our lives, right? It's all of a sudden you take the truth, which is I'm sitting there shoveling all the queso, which jalapenos or jalapenos, into my mouth and into my gullet, and I'm being called down on it. Oh, no, it's a good thing that I'm eating all the cheese dip because you don't need it in your beard. And if you try to stop me from eating all the cheese dip, you are a greedy glutton. We tear apart what's happening based on who it is. And so that we can begin to ascribe beardedness to whoever gets in our way the celebration parallax it's i'm not doing the thing you're accusing me of doing i'm doing it and it's a good thing that i am doing it and you better not try to stop me and this is the way evil works in our lives isn't it just a little taste just a little sip just a little peep just a little nibble what's it gonna hurt who's it gonna hurt oh i'm not Give it into that. But it's good that I self-indulge every now and then. It's a good thing. It reminds me of what is true. So don't try to stop me from doing that which I've confessed I'm not doing. Even though I'm doing it plainly, as you can see. Proverbs 14.7 says, stay away from a fool for you will not find knowledge on their lips. It's the fools who are trying to contort and distort what is true what is right, what is real, thinking that they're speaking wisdom and in reality, they're speaking anything but. This comes down to our sense of desire. Our sense of desire. In the Greek, the word desire means epithumia, which means a passionate desire for forbidden pleasure. So the Apostle Paul was writing about desire. He was talking about this concept of epithumia, which is a passionate desire for forbidden pleasure. It is that passionate desire to sit down with a ladle and eat all of the cheese dip with jalapenos or jalapenos while your friends are looking on saying, what, wouldn't you like to share a little bit with me? No! No, and don't try to stop me. And so what ends up happening is when we, we find ourselves confronted with this contradiction, we have to recognize that we are abandoning, exchanging the truth for a lie, and we are being abandoned into that. We become so convinced and convicted that we are right, even in our wrongness. So why is it that God abandons us to our own choices? God allows us to make our own choices, even the bad ones. Because when we make the right choices, we make the right choices 
for the right reasons, with the right heart. And friends, this is where it gets scary, doesn't it? We want God to come and prevent us from making the decisions that are going to be bad for us. We want God to come in and prevent us from doing the things that we know are wrong for us. But when God does that, and sometimes he does, right? I'm not going to say he doesn't. But when, when God does that as a general rule, he is depriving us of the opportunity to make the right decisions for the right reasons. And so much of it comes down to acknowledging what our sinful desires are and holding them in captivity to Christ. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. And this is where we bring our Emperor's New Clothes message full circle. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. It's truth. No God is in K-N-O-W, God. Acknowledge those areas of your life where you are so convinced and convicted you were right and in reality you're like the emperor in the emperor's new clothes who has to confess that he's naked because there is this profound desire to be seen as fancy or whatever you can fill in your own blanks there so as we do in all of our scary bible messages we look for areas of hope and help. We have to acknowledge, first of all, that it is the truth that sets us free. Amen? Amen. And truth isn't just a precept, it's a person in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we acknowledge that the truth sets us, sets us free, then we can call on Jesus, who is our salvation. For as the scripture tells us, that when you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And then we are to make our thoughts obedient to Christ. Make your thoughts obedient to Christ. One final comment on that, and then I will close this with our hope and help. Is when the Apostle Paul wrote about holding your thoughts obedient to Christ, the way the wordage is, is like a soldier holding a prisoner at war, captive at the end or the tip of a weapon. How many of you have thoughts that you need to hold at bay at the other end of the tip of a barrel or a spear or a knife or whatever else? I know I do. That temptation sometimes surges within us. And Paul says, hold those thoughts captive as you would a prisoner at the end of a spear or a knife or a sword or whatever other weapon you may be using. Ask Christ to help you hold those thoughts and those temptations captive. When you do, he's going to reveal to you those areas where your foolishness is being exposed. And what he wants to do is to help you know him and know the truth that sets you free. And then take those desires which are of the flesh that lead us astray and to give those over to the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ to help us hold them captive so that we can be filled with the truth that sets us free. So how is your threat detection system working on you this morning? What threats are you coming to acknowledge 
as we bring this message to a close. That excitation transfer theory says this is a safe and controlled environment for you to come face to face with the things that scare you to help bring you that comfort and hope that you need. I pray that in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that you find that truth this morning and allow that truth to set you free. And for crying out loud, please share your queso. Let us pray. <laughs> Almighty God, we thank you for today and for acknowledge, helping us acknowledge those areas where we so frequently get it wrong and the reality that it, so frequently we don't just want to get it wrong. We want what is wrong to be right. And so forgive us of that. Help us to know you, which isn't just knowing about you, but is knowing you and knowing you as the truth and allowing that truth to set us free by exposing what it is that we hold on to, those inconsistent and incontrovertible truths that we don't want to give ourselves over to and the exposure of them leaves us feeling exposed as well. Not just to desire those things of the flesh, but to desire you, to desire your heart, to, to desire your truth and to allow our lives to be ordered accordingly. I ask all this in the name of Jesus, that he may be our perspective, that you may be our truth, and that everything else falls into place as a result. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.